hello, this is uh, Dr. Andrea Davis. Hi, Dr. Antoinette Shields. And it's the A-Team podcast. And today we have with us Dr. Zach Dunkel with uh, Owens Recovery Science. And we're going to talk a little bit about some blood flow. Um, to introduce you, Zach, why don't you introduce yourself? Give us a little Just bit. Just wait. Of- uh, so, yeah. So, um, you know, my, my background is ultimately... Um, I always kind of make ha- the, the joke, but it's a half truth of when I was in high school, I was probably the, the most anti-college kid that you would ever come across. I was the guy who was like, you know, college is not for me. I don't want to go to college. Uh, I just want to go into the Marine Corps. And um, at this point in time, I graduated or in between my junior and senior year of high school, I enlisted in the Marine Corps. It was a summer before 9-11. 9-11 happens, go to the Marine Corps. And then uh, when I was in the Marine Corps, all I wanted to do was be a reconnaissance Marine, which is their um, special operations unit. And then um, shortly after I did that, I uh, completed that school. I had the opportunity to go to scout sniper school um, and uh, uh, graduated from scout sniper school in June of 2004. Uh, deployed to Fallujah in um, uh, September of 2004. So kind of the context of what was going on historically around this time was we were prepping for the big push into Fallujah um, and it was Operation Phantom Fury, um, the bloodiest battle of the Iraq war. Um, And, you know, we basically kicked that off the beginning of November and then fought through Fallujah. We um, took the city, kept the city. And then coming up on the end of my time in, in Iraq, it was a matter of what am I going to do with my life going forward? And I had always thought about being a physical therapist. And But I said, you know, when I was in high school, I'm like, man, you got to be smart to do that. And um, that 100% was not me when I was in high school. Um, so either way, um, I, I decided that's what I was going to do. So I... Um, I had one year left on my contract. I uh, um, applied to go to Penn State where I uh, majored in kinesiology and then went to PT school uh, down here in Atlanta, Georgia at Emory University. I stayed an additional year at Emory and did an orthopedic residency with them as well. Um, I currently live um, just outside the city on on the north side and then work part-time in a private practice on the northwest side of Atlanta. And then I treat people privately in their homes as well. Um, When it comes to BFR, um, I've been doing BFR in a clinic now since 2016. Uh, The guy that I work with, we were the first two clinicians in Georgia to do BFR. And um, so then it came to the point of how I got hooked up with Johnny in ORS. And I just happened, well, when I took the course, I got really consumed with the research with BFR. I thought it was really fascinating. And so literally every night I would get home from work and I'd eat dinner and then I would just get on PubMed and I would just research BFR and mechanisms and things that pertain to BFR, you know, and I would do this until midnight, 1231 in the morning, and then literally repeat it the next day. And um, (laughs) that's what people ask, you know, and I'm like, I, I don't know. That was one of the things I would say that, you know, kind of got me where I am with with sniper school was literally uh, we would have a test every single day. And so you had to memorize a lot of stuff. And part of that was you didn't you went to bed when you felt like you knew the material. So that was just one of the things that the the military kind of ingrained in me. And I always I'll, I'll tell people like I tell patients and stuff, you know, I'm like, if it if it really was not for specifically sniper school, I, I would not be here right now. And so and it's just 
that's just kind of how I, how I do it. Um, and then I'm up at like, you know, six in the morning to get ready to go to work for the next day. Um, but, um, the, the blood flow stuff is not, I mean, it's not complicated on the surface, but the, uh, the science behind it is pretty, pretty intense, really. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the thing, you know, so I think a lot of people look at it, well, you just put a tourniquet on people's limbs and then you do, um, you start doing exercise. Well, there's things that you kind of have to know about and, and think about and consider, you know, um, so you, you can take an individual or you take a couple individuals. Um, and one of the things that we know is the, the girth of the limb or the size of the limb really de is a determining factor um, or one of the largest determining factors to the um, amount of occlusion that a, a tourniquet is going to give. So if you take someone with a really girthy thigh um, compared to someone with a very thin thigh, what's going to happen is, and you inflate that tourniquet to the same given pressure, the person with the um, really thin thigh is going to probably be much closer to full occlusion or at full occlusion. Um, and, and that kind of gets into the dangerous aspect of it because you, the higher the pressure, the more uncomfortable it's gonna be, the more pain it's gonna be involved. And typically what we've seen with the research is it's gonna produce a much higher blood pressure response as well. Um, so, you know, where the research and, you know, kind of the, the, the nuances of all this is basically we need to normalize this pressure to the tourniquet system that's being used um, and then ultimately to the individual that we're using it on. So, you know, we don't really advocate using the, an arbitrary pressure and absolute pressure, say 160 millimeters of mercury. Um, what we do is we put that tourniquet on and that the, the tourniquet itself has receptors. And what it does is that helps to determine the amount of, or the blood flow that's going past that tourniquet. So it just keeps on increasing that pressure while we're getting what we call the limb occlusion pressure. And then from there, when those receptors are no longer um, sensing blood flow going past that tourniquet, well, then that's when we've reached our limb occlusion pressure. From there, what we'll do is we take a percentage of that pressure and that's what we train at. So in, in the lower extremity, we think the sweet spot is somewhere between 60 to 80% of that limb occlusion pressure. Um, ideally, we, we think 80% is a little bit better than 60, but 60 is on the low end of what we would consider acceptable. And then in the upper extremity, it's much lower. Um, it's around 50% limb occlusion pressure. Um, so, but that's yeah, the Delphi unit, right, Zach? Like that's the that, that, that's it. Yeah. So, yeah, um, it's it's probably the the you know completely un, unbiased opinion, but I would say it's the best unit that on the market right now. Um, the reason being is it takes away all the gadgets that you need to do. So if you don't have those sensors within a tourniquet, well, then you need to get a Doppler. Well, here's the problem with using a Doppler um, if you're not really trained. Go go talk to a pregnant um, woman or anybody who's ever had a kid. Like one of the things that they do is they go buy these Dopplers on Amazon just so they can listen to their heartbeat of their kid. Well, um, I can I can tell you how much like those people freak out if for some reason they can't find the heartbeat one day. Like they just like that. It's a very stressful situation. So what I'm getting at is if you're not really trained in that in in that type of a uh, uh, um kind of the use of that. I don't know necessarily if we need to be using it because when it comes to the context of using it for to determine blood flow, 
you don't really know if you've reached full occlusion when you're using a Doppler or if you just rolled off the artery. That, that's part of the big problem. So it just takes, it takes away that aspect of it. It makes it very uh, simple to use. Um, the system is validated in the upper and lower extremity. And then also it regulates that pressure. And that's a pretty important thing because when you're doing an exercise, what you'll notice is the pressure will kind of fluctuate because the girth of the limb, as well as the density of the tissue. So the muscle is getting harder as you're making a contraction. Well, that's going to cause the pressure to fluctuate. Well, what that the Delphi device does is it's constantly pumping air in and out of that tourniquet um, to maintain the set pressure that we have it set at. That's why I like when they're doing a quad set or whatever, you'll see the numbers going up and down. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Because yeah. they'll ask me that too. They'll be like, oh, what does that mean? And the patients are really um, interested in it. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's one of those things, you know, that, like I said, it goes back to the girth of the tissue and then the density of the tissue that's underneath the tourniquet, um, uh, a limb, you could just say a limb that's the same girth, but has more fat tissue. It's going to take, um, um, less pressure to push through adipose tissue than what it does muscle. And then when muscle contracts and gets hard again, like you need a kind of a, a more juice or more pressure to kind of push through that. So you're reaching that same kind of given level of occlusion. Yeah. And so when I'm treating a patient or going to put them on it for the first time and I, and I, I give them the spiel, like I, I have a handout and I let them read it and then they look at the contraindications and the precautions and make sure everything's okay. And then I pretty much sum it up in like, I guess three points. I usually like bullets. Um, it helps increase your growth hormone, which helps them build muscle, um, helps decrease myostatin, which helps decrease scar tissue. And I also tell them that there can be a analgesic response um, to the cuff. What, what else would you, you know, kind of tell your patients? Yeah. So yeah. ultimately how I, I explain is I keep things relatively simple with people. Um, and what I'll tell them is, look, you know, what it takes to kind of build muscle and get stronger is we need to lift to a given load. The big problem that we have is within rehab, we have difficulty getting to that load that's required to produce this muscle change, whether that's because you're coming off of a surgery and you have surgical precautions, or you're coming off of an acute injury and you have these tissue tolerance issues, but we just can't lift that load. And so if we lift at a light load, we're just kind of spinning our wheels because we're not really doing much. The muscle isn't being challenged. It's not being stressed. So what we'll do is we put this tourniquet on and it reduces the oxygenated blood flow that goes into that limb. At that point in time, we're literally just tricking the muscle into thinking that we're working harder than what we really are because we don't get oxygen. So the muscle is pretty dumb. It just says like, it's just responding to the stress. And at that point in time, we start to bias or activate more of the, you know, kind of fast twitch fibers, um, which are the same fibers that are active when we lift heavy. Um, and so that's really why we're going to do it. And then, you know, kind of, from there, that's on the muscle side of things. But like you said, the analgesic effect, I mean, that's a huge thing. And I'll say, you know, going into this, you know, you, you, you can't tolerate lifting heavy because you have this acute injury. Um, and if we were just to load this thing up with 80, 90% of what you maximally could do, it's going to be really painful for you. 
with BFR, what we see is we we get this um, this analgesic effect. One of the things that we literally think it contributes to this is what's called this conditioned pain modulated response. Because when we do BFR, it's going to be uncomfortable and it's going to produce, you're going to have some pain. And I was like, but that's a good thing because we're literally putting pain into the system that your brain is going to perceive or the tissue will perceive that as the uncomfortable stimulus. And you actually have less perceived pain afterwards. Um, and then, you know, with resistance exercise, we also get this activation or this buildup of lactate. We think that that has a relationship of endogenous opiates in the brain and how those are activated are through these neuroreceptors. And that sends a signal to the brain that says, hey, we're under a pretty stressful situation here. And then we kind of get beta endorphins to release. Um, and then when it comes to aerobic exercise, what we get uh, or what we think also contributes with aerobic uh, BFR is um, an increase in endocannabinoids. Um, and so the, the big kind of take home is not only are we getting this effect that's local to the limb, but we're getting a supraspinal response as well, which, which is huge. Um, and when it comes to BFR, uh, we think pressure is important because that goes to the uncomfortableness, 80% versus say 40% limb occlusion pressure of the exercise. And what we see is that effect is significantly increased five minutes post-exercise. And we also have an increase in analgesia measured with a pressure pain threshold out to 24 hours. And so it's a, it's a big take home. Um, and then I'll also kind of relate that whenever they're doing the exercise and they're like, man, this is really uncomfortable. And I'm like, you know, can, can, if you can just deal with this, this is, you, you will feel better once we get done. That's like your go-to, right? Especially with the OAs. Yeah. And also like, I'll drop it down. Like if I, if the 80 is like way too much, just to get them to buy in a little bit, we'll yeah. start at 60 and then they kind of build a tolerance over time. So every time yeah. they come in, I'll like up at another couple and um, they're doing 80 pretty quick and then they yeah. like play. So yeah. And I, and I think that's the trick too, right? Yeah. So you start at like 60 or maybe even, you know, what I've told people is maybe you start at 50 with people, you know, I mean, and, and just know in your mind that you're not really going to get the muscle effect that you, that you think you may right. get with BFR. However, what yeah. you're going to get is you're going to get buy-in with that individual. One session at 50 is not going to, is not going to be the deal breaker. And so from there, mm -hmm. the next time they come in, you just increase it up. And then, I mean, you just turn the unit away from them and they have no idea. There, there's really not much of a difference between like 50 and 60 and 70 <laughs> and as true. you go. And so you just kind of just increase it up and yeah, they're okay. No, I mean, Antonetta here is like uh, the one that's been getting our older population for sure invested in because it's it's something that people shy away from naturally because it's so uncomfortable. But those yeah. OAs, I mean, they're, they're just as... Uh, bothersome and troublesome conditions as the post-op ACLs, I think. Um, and, you know, cause they get to a point where they're left with only injections and uh, potentially total knee replacement. So I know you've been yeah. working on knocking that out. Yeah. It's same thing. Like where that, that joint's really painful to the load. So it's just another avenue of helping them to get stronger, helps with the joint space and decreasing the pain too. Yeah. I think that's the huge thing. And that's what I always tell like those, you know, the folks with pretty significant OA, I'm like, look, man, like what's going on is because you have knee pain, you have this pretty significant disuse effect to your leg. Like you just, 
aren't really, you're, you're doing things to avoid using that leg because it's painful. Well, then the muscle is going to respond as well because you have this disuse effect there. And so I said, you know, think about this, like your quad is super important and, and it acts as a shock absorber really to the knee. And I said, so when you go downstairs or you're walking or maybe you're a runner and you run, if you don't have the quad strength, you will land with a much stiffer knee. Well, those forces still have to go somewhere. So instead of them being transmitted to the muscle or the tendon in the quad, what's going on is they're going straight through the joint. And now that force is actually significantly greater that's going through the joint. It's going to be very uncomfortable and painful. So I can't change your knee away. What you have is what you have. But what I what my goal is, is can we increase some muscle strength in the quad? And if we can do that, what kind of an overall effect on function can we have? Um, and, and so, yeah, it, it, it's huge with that. And then I think, too even outside the OA conversation with these individuals um, who are older um, is dealing with sarcopenia um, and just the loss of muscle. And, you know, whenever we do the course, man, I always, I always tell people, you know, it's not that muscle is like really magical. And if you have all this muscle, then you're invincible. It's, it's not really that, but there is 100% of a protective effect to muscle. Um, and, you know, it's, it's always hard to say, how much of it is directly muscle versus the lifestyle of people who have maintained mu muscle throughout their lifespan. Um, you know, so, you know, we have a slide where it talks about like those with more muscle mass have um, a reduction in complications after a surgery, lower um, medical cost, um, decreased mortality. Yeah. All the, all this type of stuff adds up and it, and it really comes back to muscle. Yeah, no, and it, it just kind of bridges, like, uh, we talk, we hear about a lot of literature with uh, ACL and uh, disuse atrophy, but, like, taking those base core principles and applying it across the board, I think is what we're more excited about as we, like, get, you know, use it more and more across the population. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the deal. Um with your ACE, with, with ACLs, again, whether you you're able or fortunate enough to do some, uh, some prehab with them while they're waiting to get surgery, or you're looking at that acute post-op, you know, people will ask me whether it's a patient or during the course, and they'll say like, well, how soon should we start physical therapy? You know, the answer is you need to start physical therapy, literally post-op day one, or as close to that post-op day as you can. What we know is muscle starts to atrophy literally within a couple days. Um, and, and the thing that, that really sucks about it is it, it is basically maximized within three weeks. Um, and, and one of the papers that I, I point to was um, one was from Ratchford was the lead author and Andreer was the other uh, author of the other paper. But basically the gist of these papers, every single person is going to get a total knee replacement. From there, Ratchford is going to give individuals a follow-on uh, MRI at the two-week mark. Dreyer's giving a follow-on MRI at the six-week mark. What um, Rashford find, finds is 14% atrophy at two weeks. Dreyer finds 18% atrophy at the six-week mark. So why is all this significant, right? Well, within um, that first six-week post-op period, 80% of the atrophy is occurring within the first two weeks. That's what we know um, is you know, your, your atrophy with disuse peaks within three weeks. What you're, what you have there 
is literally what you're left with. And so, you know, what can we do with BFR? Well, we can do, um, first of all, as much as that individual is able to do resistance exercise. So if that's straight leg raises, whatever it may be, that's what we're going to do. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to hook them up with some neuromuscular stim. And then we're going to increase that stim and we're going to do a passive BFR protocol with them. The, the protocol that I use is from um, Natsume, was the lead author of the paper. Basically, it's five minutes of inflation, one minute of deflation, cycled a total of four times. That gives me 23 minutes of treatment, so to speak. And then I run neuromuscular stim, I do put them in an open chain position, which is probably controversial or, you know, there's some people who have issues with that, but I put them in an open chain position immediately post with their leg strapped to the table. Um, and then I basically have a strain gauge set up that I can monitor the force. And so I really, and, and the big reason to put them in an open chain position is because with that strain gauge, I can measure how much force the stem is producing. Um, I, I think there's a, there's a fair amount of evidence. Lynn Snyder Mackler up there at the University of Delaware is a huge proponent you know, that, that you need the intensity of the stem needs to be there. So literally just putting someone long sitting on the table and until you get a nice visible strong contraction, that, that's not really doing it. We need to objectively measure this. And so that, that's what I'll do um, with that. Um, and, and I've had decent success and I keep using the use of the stem um, throughout that acute period until they're able to kind of build the, the total number of exercises that they're able to do. Um, and then transition away from that and then just start doing straight up BFR resistance exercises. Now, do you cycle through like BFR? Like we've gone through, like we're fortunate enough to hold on to most of our ACLs for a significant amount of time, like uh, nine, 10, upwards of 11 months at times. Um, we've kind of gotten into the habit of cycling in and out of, you know, like everything else where the protocol, what's important, where your priorities are. Um, do you find that as well with use of BFR? Are you like a straight, straight all the way through to some degree? Yeah, no. So what I'll do is, um, it's going to depend on pain to a certain extent when I get into like, say the eight to 12 week mark. Um, but BFR pretty much exclusively out to eight weeks is what I'll do with pretty much all the exercises. Um, from there, if they can tolerate load, let me just back up and tell you this as well. I start doing full on long arc, uh, long arc quads right around week five. Um, there, there's no real kind of issue. If you're doing it with BFR, um, the, the load is not going to be enough to do anything to lengthen the graph. So not, not really a concern. So I initiate partial range of motion right around week four. Um, and then full on long arc quads with BFR at week five. And then I'm still doing um, my BFR resistance exercises up until um, say week eight. Um, and right around that week eight mark is when I'll start to transition. And so what I'll do is I break my, I see people twice a week. And so I, one day is going to be a, a light load day with BFR, or just maybe it's three sets of 10, 75% one RM, um, if they can tolerate the load. Um, and then the second day is going to be a heavy day. And the heavy day is going to be upwards of 85, 90% one RM for three to five sets of three to five reps. Um, and then 
once we get towards say like week 10 to 12 is when I start introducing some pretty heavy eccentrics. Um, and at that point in time, I'm pretty much moving away from BFR. Um, th the reason being is kind of twofold. Typically in my experience, muscle mass measured with a girth measurement is pretty symmetrical compared to the opposite limb. Also, they're able to tolerate load. I'm a huge proponent that BFR literally bridges the gap between low load and high load exercise. And once I can get to high load exercise, I, I do high load exercise. Um, now, that isn't to say that I don't ever come back to it. Specifically, if there's something that I really just want to, quote unquote, build the volume for. So if I find that there's a limitation and I'm like, look, man, we just need to get in there and just smoke this. And so at the end of the session, we're going to throw the cuff on and we're just going to use BFR as a burner. And I'm looking to basically just build volume um, into that muscle. Um, so that that's ultimately, I would say, how I would do it. Um, but trying to get to load um, as soon as safely possible and as soon as as well as they tolerate it yeah yeah we do uh, we do about the same thing and uh we've been seeing a lot of like the acls with the meniscus too and so yep. they come in non-weight bearing so they're non-weight bearing up to like six weeks so that um bfr and even and with the stim and stuff becomes super crucial because it you know just gives us a way to keep that muscle from atrophying more yeah, yeah, that that's the tough part is the um, is when you have an MC or a meniscus involved as well. Um, so and then the pediatric meniscus on top of it. Right. So like, um, you know, when we spoke, we saw you in uh, California like mm -hmm. a month or two ago and we spoke and there was one particular uh, <laughs> case that we were uh, struggling with because the physician was not excited about BFR, but they were uh, non weight bearing. and um, you know, pretty, pretty challenged. So, um, we ended up finally getting permission or, you know, uh, the blessing to, to initiate it. And she's been doing remarkably, but it's just yeah. amazing the gap that it closes, um, yep. makes me sad for the people that don't one, don't know what BFR is, uh, in, in the clinical world or two refuse to even right. Poke their nose in to even see what it is. They're like, no, I don't believe in that. It's like, I didn't know it was a religion. It's like, yeah, right. Right. Yeah. It's like, um, yeah. I'm like, you, so you don't believe in like basic physiology. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of what it is. I mean, that's, it's all that's being manipulated is you're just artificially creating an, an anaerobic environment. Um, and you know, the thing that I tell people as well, I'm like, it's, it's fine. Like, you don't, you don't have to believe in it or you don't have to think that it works, but I can tell you that this is the most positively researched intervention that you will do as a physical therapist. Um, mm -hmm. you know, you can look at systematic review after systematic review and we draw like pretty impressive effect mm -hmm. sizes. And, and these are like, you know, effect sizes that are over one and sometimes over two and, and so that, that, that's a massive effect when you look and you're comparing um one treatment versus another treatment and the thing with bfr is you're doing the same exact loads that you would do in the clinic otherwise it's just now that we're actually producing this muscle effect um you know and i it, it's just interesting to me and i i think i think pt programs not with this isn't meant to get on a soup soapbox, but PT programs really fail um, students. Love soapbox. Uh, 
Well, you know, the thing of it is, is we spend so much time on stuff that I don't want to say doesn't matter, but the the bare basics of how muscle physiology and how muscle works, um, somewhat important. Um, and, you know, like measuring strength. I, I don't know why, like if, if you're, if you don't like use a dynamometer, like a handheld dynamometer at the very least, how do you like, if you're rehabbing someone's ACL, how are you like, you're good to go at this point? Like, I am just so, it's just, it, it's, it's crazy to me, but you know, it is what it is. I mean, it is what it is. And like the, uh, that's why we're having these conversations, right? Because the amount of people that don't know until they know is just still staggering. And, um, you know, we, we're all in like we, I mean, we have four Delphi's we're all in all the way through. So and yeah. we'll practice. So yeah, um, that, that's the other thing too, that people always ask me, um, you know, at courses, they're like, well, man, like how expensive is it? And I tell them, like, you know, it, it is what it is. And they're like, Oh man, that's a lot of money. I said, well, let me tell you this, man. So I said, when, when I took the course, the guy that I worked with, he said, uh, we were driving back. The course was in Miami and we, we drove down to Miami to do it. And we're coming back, driving through Florida. And he goes, man, he's like, I, he goes, he goes, you know, according to Johnny, this, this thing like cures cancer. And I was like, well, well I said, Hey, I mean, it does a lot, but I mean, you're, you're being a little sarcastic <laughs> right now. So, and, and so anyway, then like an hour later, he's like, you know, he's like, I think we're going to get a unit. I said, all right, that's cool. I'm like, you know, it's it's your money, you know, so it, it's cool. Like, that's awesome. And that was in August. Um, by Christmas of that year, we had another unit and we were a small private practice. Um, at the time, there was four of us in, in the practice, like in the clinic, none of us worked full time. And so, you know, we're not like some major outfit or anything like that. Um, but you see the value in, in what it does. And, um, you know, and when it, like you mentioned, when it comes to the return on the investment, you know, what I always tell people is, look, if you're able to draw one person in like an, an ACL individual, literally because you have BFR and that's not a stretch. I, I have a girl or I had a girl who the only reason she came to our clinic was uh, because we had BFR. Um, she's a pretty high level soccer player. Um, and, um, I talked with the dad, the dad wanted her to do BFR, but the clinic where she was at, she was going to a pops didn't do BFR. And so, uh, they reached out to one of the, an MLS team, um, their PT that I knew. And he's like, look, he's like, Zach does BFR, you know, da, 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 whatever. So they reach out to me and they're like, they go, he goes, Hey, he's like, so we're, we're going to come to you to do BFR, but we're still going to go to this other place to do physical therapy. And I said, I said, Hey man, that's cool. That's cool, dude. I was like, just so you know, like I am a physical therapist as well. He goes, <laughs> and he's like, he's like, I don't want to, I don't want to make anyone upset. I said, dude, you, you do whatever you want to do. I was like, I don't, it does not matter to me. And I was like, it, it's really cool. It totally fine. And uh, within two oh, weeks, person. yeah, <laughs> w- within within two weeks, they were exclusively coming to the clinic. Uh, they had already referred another patient. And I bet you from that one girl, um, uh, we've spun off probably eight to 10 people. And, and that's that is no exaggeration. And that is strictly because we had BFR. 
Um, and, you know, and then, you know, I had one guy tell me one time, he goes, Zach, let's just be honest here. I said, okay. He goes, so at the very least, he's like, you may break even with this thing. He goes, or more than likely, you're just going to lose money because you can't bill for it. I said, okay. I said, well, how much are you billing for your high low table over there? And he looks <laughs> at me and he goes, what? I said, your high low table. How, how, how much are you billing because you got a high low table? And he goes, well, I said, dude, it's, it's the same thing, right? I said, it's an operating cost. Like, dude, you're not billing anything extra because you have a motorized high-low table. I was oh. like, and, and people are not coming into the clinic just because you got the high-low table. Um, and, and I always think, you know, people think I just make that up. But I, I, that, that is the honest to God's truth. Um, the other thing of it is too, and this isn't like real bragging, but we don't really market because the way it works in Atlanta there is, you have your corporate practices, then you have your physician-owned practices, and then you have a hospital. And yeah. I think right around the clinic or right around the area where the clinic is that, that I work at, there is like six physical therapy practices within probably two miles. I, I mean, so, Same. yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, it is, so you got to do something different. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm, you know, it's, kind of the deal i mean the the roi at least uh you've been here four and a half years right and we saw how many acls probably when you started yeah nothing compared to what we're seeing right now maybe maybe like three or four and we're up to uh maintaining somewhere between 15 to 20 on a regular caseload uh consistently and hands down bfr was a game changer on top of just like actually taking the time to understand the science behind the BFR. Um, and like you said, the, the clinics around us, you know, lots of people have BFR and then they'll come here for whatever reason. Like, oh, I did blood flow. Did you though? Yeah. And then uh, yeah. Ann hooks them up and it's just like, wait, I didn't know it wasn't like this. I don't, what do you mean? I have to do uh, 30 reps. What do you mean? So yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that's always the thing too, is, you know, with different, you know, you have different companies out there and do different things. Um, and I will say this about ORS is we really pride ourselves in the education aspect of things, you know, because it's like you said, right? I mean, on the surface, oh, I can do that. That that's you know, we're just putting a tourniquet on people and then inflating it and doing some exercise. But th- there's much more to that because you need to understand. Let me back up and say, and, and I always Kyle and these guys always make fun of me because they think I get into the weeds. Yeah. But, but the thing of it is, is like, I'm very mechanistically driven. And if we can understand like what is going on and what this is doing, then I can maybe use this in, in an area where there's no research to support it. But like, it just kind of makes sense because like, well, this is the issue. Well, if I think this over here is going to address this issue then yeah, I'm going to do it. Um, and, And that's where the education comes in. But the problem that you have is some of these companies will literally just drop their their product off um they won't do it at a private practice but they'll they'll do it at a uh at with a sports team or a university and then they'll say like hey just you know kind of take some pictures with this and you know whatever show that you're using it so it's free marketing so they you know it's marketing at the expense of their product um but we we don't do that like we don't just give stuff out 
Um, and the one thing that we do is everybody has to come to the course. Um, and I think like some people probably think that that's, you know, some sort of deal just to draw in money, but it, it's really not. It's, it's about like getting the science. We, we think that there's a ton of science to this and, and being able to understand, you know, what you're doing, what we want to address and, and how to do this ultimately safely. Yeah. I mean, we took, when we took the course, we took it together and we took it with, uh, with Ben. We yeah. took it, but um, we uh, best one of the best courses I've ever taken as yeah. in terms of the educational and application. Application is huge for me anyway, because if I can understand the science, but you can tell me how to directly apply it within like an hour of like wrapping all of it up and it clicks like hands down, yeah. which is right. I mean, oh, yeah, definitely. And, and I think like learning the application at the course has really made a difference, too, because when we see people come in, they'll be like, yeah, I was somewhere that had blood flow, but they, they weren't, you know, using blood flow the way we're able to apply it and able to explain it too. they're like, I don't know yeah. why, but they just threw, you know, they threw the cuff on and, 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 and we, walked away. Yeah, yeah. like, like uh, it's a staple for us. So any clinician that we hire, that's one of the qualifications. They have to go to the Owens Recovery Science course. They have to understand it. Um, in order to, uh, you know, participate really and in, in drive the practice. So yeah, yeah. good stuff, man. Thank yeah, well, you. thanks. Yeah. Yeah, no, thanks for, uh, thanks for making time out of your busy schedule to hang out again. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh...